Before we start, we just want to give a content warning for this episode. As the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires is a horror novel, it contains many intense and bloody horrific scenes which we may describe in detail. Additionally, this novel contains multiple scenes that are analogous to rape, including a rape scene, and has many instances of violence against women. There is also a suicide attempt in this book, and many scenes that deal with gaslighting and belittling that lead up to it. If you are not comfortable hearing about these topics discussed, we recommend that maybe you skip this episode of Shared Pages. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of Shared Pages. We are very excited for everybody that listens to this episode, and um, we are going to be talking about our October book, which was the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. So uh, this was an Ian pick. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted it to be spooky, because it's October book, so it's definitely a horror novel, that is for sure. Um, so yeah, so I guess we'll just get right into the episode. Yeah. Unless you have any uh, opening remarks that you'd like to share, anything? Uh, I mean, like, I had heard really good things about Grady Hendrix, um, and I had first noticed, I noticed this book on the shelf at work, because I work in the bookstore, but it didn't really call to me, but then they wrote a book. I think it's their most recent one, called The Final Girl Support Club. So I was like, I do kind of want to try and read their books, and that's how we ended up with this one. Also, <laughs> I'm going to try not to cough the whole time, because I have cold. Yes, Ian is a bit coffee today, but we're going to try and keep that under wraps. Yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, like, as we usually do at the start here, we're just going to talk a little bit about the cover, and, you know, what did you think about the cover for this one? I think it's very simple. The ones that we have just have some peaches with some vampire bite marks, and then they're, like, leaking, dripping blood yeah. to give that All sense of creepiness. All I could think of was the freaking iPhone emoji of the peach. The iPhone emoji? Yeah. Okay. Because that's, like, what peaches are most thought oh, of as now. I see. You yeah. mean in, like, sexting yeah. type areas. I, just thought, okay, I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, there's the butt emoji. It's the butt emoji, obviously. Yeah, the peach. I I had a very different first thought, which was peaches are basically synonymous with the South and Georgia specifically. And I don't know why it really bugged me that this book does not place take place in Georgia, it takes place in South Carolina. Yeah. But you know what? I think most people just see peaches and they're like, oh, that's just Southern. So, yeah. you know, same old, same old. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I I guess this was a it's good a cover. minimalist cover. I think it's pretty good. It's minimalist. It doesn't it it doesn't really give away anything, honestly. Yeah. Besides, what the title already gave away that there's vampires in it. So yeah. It's not very like. Um, but yeah. But yeah. So the the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires takes place in the '90s in South Carolina. That's where Charleston is, right? Yeah, South Carolina, it's not in Charleston, it's kind of like in a suburbia outside of Charleston. Yeah, where the richer people live. A lot of people have described this book as a melding of Steel Magnolias and Dracula? Dracula, Salem's yeah. Lot. Salem's are, Lot. Take your choice of good vampire stories. Right, so definitely, they're... Well, let's just get into it. So. Yeah. So, the opening of the book here. Well, before we do that, let's give, like, a little synopsis. That is... Okay. It's leading into that. Okay. So, the opening of the book, 
So at the opening of the book, you you kind of meet your protagonist, right? We meet Patricia. She's like the main character, 90s housewife, used to be a nurse, but she left her job to be a full-time mother. And she has joined this book club of this new city that they moved to, I believe, because her husband like wanted to move back here or something yeah it's like, like his hometown it's like his hometown something you know. like that she wants to try and fit in so she goes to this book club and she honestly the honestly the beginning of the book to me it feels like a comedy yeah yeah like it's kind of She's, funny she and the, like the like, the lines are really good they create a lot of tension mm-hmm. and she's just like why the hell did i join this book club yeah she the like her internal thought processes Honestly, very relatable for this portion, because it's like, I could see myself in a similar situation where she goes to this book club and it's kind of all these stuck up, like, southern ladies and they're reading this, like, pretentious book and she was supposed to read it and she didn't even want to read it and, like, you know. And they're not, like, stuck up in the way where you think of, like, a snotty, like, you know, really uppity person is stuck up. They're snotty, stuck up in the way of, like, oh, bless your heart. Right. But anyway, by the the first book club she tries, tries to join, it doesn't go well, but that's how she ends up meeting her book club. So she meets some of the other women that just were like, yeah, that book club sucked, basically. Yep. And they were like, do you like true crime and or romance or like both together? We're thinking of doing our own book club. And like, uh, here's the book we ought to read. So take a gander at it and see if you like it. And Honestly, it's how it's how the five women come together. So we have um, Patricia, the main character. Yes, the main character, Patricia Campbell. Then there is Grace Cavanaugh, who is essentially the epitome of Southern lady perfectionism. Uh, there's Slick Pally, who is like the Bible thumping Southerner. Uh, there's Kitty. I can't remember her last name. And she's kind of like the hot mess mom that yeah. will like always be there to help you and won't judge you, but she's like kind of quirky, <laughs> oh. I guess. Yeah, we're also running around with like her head cut off. And then and then the last one is Mary Ellen. And literally I looked through the whole book and I I just couldn't remember Kitty's last name, but I know she has one, but Patricia or um not Patricia. But Mary. Mary Ellen, I could not find a last name for her anywhere <laughs> in the book. I think she's just Mary Ellen. Um That might be her full name. And all I kind of really know as identifying is, like, feminist, in quotation marks, and she's married to a cop, or her two, yeah. like, um, discerning features. Blue feminist so, lives matter. Exactly. <laughs> she's a feminist, and she definitely has, like, a blue lives matter sign, though, outside of, yeah. of her house. Um, so these women form their book club, and they read, like, true crime, like, Helter Skelter, and, like, all the... Like, In Cold Blood. Classic novels. Definitely, like, you can tell that they're like, ooh, this is, like, a little, yeah. like, risque that we're doing this, that we are ladies, and but we like reading these kinds of books, you know? Um... So that brings us, honestly, the, honestly, that's the beginning of the book. Yeah. Like, it's just talking about these women, how they get to know each other, how they make their book club. And then we get to, honestly, as I was considering this book and I was going through the points, one of the things that you talk about in a book is, like, a major turning point. I don't think this book had just one. No, I no. think it had multiple turning points, and I think this is when you hit the first turning point, mm-hmm. which is 
Uh, Patricia, when she's home one night and she's taking out the garbage, she's attacked by an older woman named Anne Savage. And you can tell that there is something unnatural. I mean, yeah. by the fact that you see Anne <laughs> Savage and the first thing you can descript her of her is that she's, like, holding a dead raccoon <laughs> and, like, eating it and there's, like, gristle and blood, like, dripping from her mouth and yeah. then she, like, just freaking attacks Patricia. Um... So she, that that's like the first turning point, because it goes from the comedic tone to like, something is not right. Yeah, and that's like the, well, I mean, even the first line, let me open to it, because like, the book is kind of comedic at the beginning, but um, the first line, you know, this story ends in blood, you know, it, it sets- In the prologue, yeah. Yeah, it sets the tone immediately. That you know, like, even though there's, like, this funny moment, you're not in for, like, a even, like, a horror comedy. Like, just, like, it's it's a horror story. It's a horror story. Um, But this is something we're definitely talking about later. It sets the tone, but I don't think the tone is ever consistent. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, So, yeah, she's attacked by this elderly woman who's in, like, her 80s or 90s yeah. or something. and But this woman has, like, insane strength and ends up biting her ear off. Like, literally... It's the way it's described. It definitely has horror novel vibes to it. Yeah, like yeah. you could the sound of it being ripped off of her. Ugh, it was gross. But anyway, that's not even the grossest part. Um, so that happens, and Patricia's like, "Okay, that was <laughs> that's fucking weird." Basically, <laughs> yeah. But they're all kind what? of just like, "Oh, maybe she just had rabies or something." I don't know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they're just like kind of let it go. Uh, but that is that event is what leads Patricia to going to talk to a man named James Harris, who people have heard had heard of in the town, and he was he is introduced as the nephew, yes, I think, of Anne Savage, of Anne Savage, the woman that attacks Patricia, and we don't really know that much about him at this point, uh, but. She goes to see him, and the first meeting with him is actually, I was just like, what the frick are you doing? Because she, like, goes to his house, knocks on the door, he doesn't answer. So she opens the door, (laughs) yells hello, nobody answers. So she goes into the house, walks around, finds an open door to a bedroom, sees him lying there, and is like, hello? And he doesn't (laughs) answer. So she leans over his body and is like, I don't think he's breathing, and proceeds to give him CPR. And I was like, girl, you are doing the most right now. Like, why yeah. are you doing-? And she's like, you know, I guess you could chalk it up to, like, Southern hospitality, and she's, like, trying to check in and make sure that everything's okay. But as I was reading it, I was just like, what the heck are you doing? Like, Yeah. Um, And then he, like, kind of is startled by that and kind of sits up and wakes up, and it leads to this crazy scenario where she like comes back another day I think and she ends up helping him like, get a, open bank, a account bank account and helping him get his electricity and water renewed at the house and it's just like I just honestly that part was like the most unbelievable for me but I guess Patricia is always billed as this character that's looking for something more Yeah, and so for her James Harris and helping him and kind of meeting this mysterious figure that nobody in the town knows is her way of finding that adventure or something, you know? Um, I don't know. I just thought that was strange. Yeah, and I mean, like, you know, it's it's interesting because they make a point of being like, 
this city isn't like New York where like they make you jump through eighteen hoops to open a bank account. Like you know, if you're if you had you know someone, we're just let you in. Yeah. yeah. Also, it's very suspicious. He has a giant bag of like eighty grand. Yeah, just just chilling. And he's just like he just tells Patricia, he's like, I don't know. I think it was Anne's. I found it in the attic. And, yeah. And she's just like, okay, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh yeah, it makes sense why Anne never left the house. And I'm just like, all right, sure. Because she didn't um, trust banks. But anyway, as as time goes on, so James Harris kind of starts to insert himself a little bit into their lives at that point. Um, maybe not really insert himself, honestly. Patricia just went yeah, and did all that. Like, I don't she know, almost but, like, makes herself the target. Yes, by doing that. Anyways, uh, that brings us to the next point, which is, through the rest of this story, we there's a character named Miss Mary, who is Patricia's mother-in-law. That lives with them. And Miss Mary has dementia? Uh. Dementia, I think? Oh, yeah, the grab. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so she's living with them, but her, like, mind is, like, crumbling, and sometimes she says things, and it just doesn't make sense to anybody. Um, but there's a scene where she kind of interrupts their one book club meeting because she has remembered James Harris as a different individual named Hoyt Pickens. Yeah, from like 80 years prior. From like 80 years prior, and she's just like, she she throws this whole thing, and there's actually, it's one of my favorite scenes in the book, is when Patricia talks to Miss Mary after that incident, which is like, she she comes into the room naked, naked, honestly, and she's just like, "I know it's you, Hoyt," and everyone's like, "Oh my, lo- oh my word, this yeah. is so inappropriate," you know. But after that happens, Patricia sits down with Miss Mary, and that's one of my. I think it's one of the best written parts in the book is when Miss Mary is telling how she knows Hoyt Pickens, aka James Harris. Mm-hmm. She's telling the memory of like how Hoyt Pickens came into town and trying to wormed his way in good with everybody because they were struggling for money and he like helped his her father set up a business and then left and like took all the money and like left the family destitute yep. um and there's more to it of course if you read the book you will know that but i think it's important that patricia actually sat down and talked to this Mary. yeah is like the main because because it's like it is like the cheesy horror cliche where there's like the old person who doesn't have good memory or is mentally ill or something, and they're like in the background, they're like, darkness is coming, and everyone's like, oh, grandma. Yo, you're crazy. Yeah. yeah, And, and they just had her short. They're like, off. I saw a man fly over the roof at 12 last night, and they're like, okay. <laughs> they're like, yeah, sure you did. Yeah. yeah. And they're like, nobody nobody believes Miss Mary. Not even Patricia, really, at this part, but like the way that she tells but, the story is kind of haunting. Yeah, her. but at least like so. Patricia like sits down and like has a real conversation about this. Yeah. And not just like, alright, see you later, weirdo. But anyways, like literally almost immediately after that scene happens, I I don't know how to describe it other than this. A swarm of rats, like hundreds of rats come into their house and, like, eat Miss Mary yeah. to death, basically. Uh, so Miss like, Mary... Like, she doesn't die right away, but she... The, like, housekeeper slash caretaker of Miss Mary and the dog. What was the dog's name? Ragtag? Ragtag. And Ragtag is the true hero of the story. Yeah, Ragtag fights off a lot Ragtag, of those rats. Ragtag kills, like, thousands of rats before. And he lives. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, they, like... 
assume that Ragtag has died, and he's just laying there breathing in pain for, like, a whole day. And then they finally take him to- that's a real- that's a real tragedy, is that they let him just lay there for so long. Yeah. But anyways, I- I- honestly, this part is another part that I was like, okay, let me get this straight. Like, thousands of rats came into (laughs) your house and killed- your mother-in-law, and you're just like, hey, man, that's, that's those marsh rats. They yep. are very, they are vicious. I'm like, nobody thought it was weird. Yep. Nobody was like, we need to get an exterminator. We need, like, nobody said that. They were just like, well, she just dead. It was <laughs> so, the 90s. It was a different time. Sure, sure. We'll just say that. We'll say that. Um, But that event, uh, after that event, some time passes, and then eventually Patricia and one of her friends, Kitty, they end up going to an area called Six Mile, where Miss Green, the woman who is the caretaker, caretaker. Miss Mary, uh, they go they go to meet with her essentially. Um, and when they do this, this is kind of I mean Patricia had seen a lot of some red flags from James Harris before. But this is where she starts getting, like, actual evidence that something might be wrong and James Harris is likely involved. Um, so Miss Green tells her about how kids in the Six Mile are essentially going missing. Yeah. Or they are turning up sick and then killing themselves. Yeah. And that nobody's really cares because this is the poorer neighborhood. It's the black neighborhood. So nobody's really looking into it. They're just kind of chalking it up to drug use and nobody's really researching it. But Miss Green also gives a partial plate at that point. Or. Yes, I think this is where she gives a partial plate. This is why I put the notes here, because I was like, so much stuff happened, I feel like I'm going to get turned around. Um, Yeah, the partial plate, yeah. and... Well, okay, it's license plate, simil- like, partial license plate. Partial license yeah. plate, yeah, that's what I mean. Um, And Patricia, and it's described as a white van, which is what James Harris drives, and then Patricia ends up talking to her friend Grace, who also writes down license plates. Everybody's paranoid. Um, And she has the full plate, and it's almost exactly similar to the partial license plate that Miss Green had, but everybody seems to shrug it off. Yeah. All I could think of when they did that, I was like, how bored must you be to write down the license plate of every car you don't recognize that drives past They're just, all I could think of was like, this is just a neighborhood of nosy Karens. Yep. They're just watching everybody that comes in and out of their neighborhood. But basically, nobody thinks that's good enough evidence except for Miss Green and Patricia. So her friends kind of don't back her up. But Patricia... It keeps pushing the issue. She's very inquisitive, and she does not let something go. She keeps pushing it. So she goes back to Six Mile to talk to one of the parents who has a daughter who's been acting the way some of the other kids acted before yeah. they died. Um, and then it's at this point where Patricia, like, kind of walking through the woods on her own, on a hunch, ends up finding James Harris's van, and he is feeding on the little girl. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't I think he recognizes her. He doesn't he doesn't know I, it's her for sure or something cuz he's like in ecstasy cuz he's like yeah, and something the, at the time. The vampires in this book or the vampire. There's only one. But they seem to also be not like as affected by 
flashlights as they are by sunlight, but flashlights also seem to, like, put them in, like, a stupor. Yeah. So she, like, comes upon him in, like, almost like a euphoric high, and then also has a flashlight on him. And this is this is what I marked down as the second turning point, because she sees this vampire is not, like, a vampire with pointy teeth. This vampire has, like, a, what would you call it, a proboscis, like, sticking out of his unhinged jaw. Yeah. That is just, like, stuck into this child. Yep. Which I, I think it's just... It's a very weird sexual. vampire, but also, like, at least... So, I'm gonna say, like, I was not impressed with the vampire at all. Like, I wasn't... I didn't find him to be an interesting character. Mm-hmm. But at least, like, the way they feed is not just, like, ah, chop. It's not just... It's definitely not normal, that's yeah. for sure. It's, and it would be horrifying to see that. Yeah. That's true. Like, it was a truly, like, body horror moment. But essentially, Patricia kind of gets away um, from him. Um, but she has seen something she cannot unsee at this point. Um, so this is where she brings her concerns to her book club. Now, of course, she does not tell her book club she thinks he's a monster or vampire because she doesn't really have anything to show them. She tells them he that she thinks he is a drug dealer. Yeah. Dealing drugs to kids in Six Mile. And... She brings the what she brings as evidence is essentially how the kids died, um, the way that they were acting strange, and the reports of seeing a white man around the area um, with the van that matches James Harris's. And Grace is just like absolutely fucking not, basically. Yeah. But I think she relents at this point, and the rest of the book club is kind of like, "This is Patricia. We know her." Like, she's our friend. We don't think Patricia would just, like, bring this up just to do it. You know, we Mm. think we should, if she's concerned, we should explore it and see what is going to happen, right? It almost felt like in this moment to me, when you have people who are like, why would men, or like, why would, like, you know, she's just making up, like, an assault claim to get attention. Right. And that's what Grace is like. Grace is like the the weird person who's yeah. defending that. Yeah. Like, and then I all the other... I think she even does say something like, you're just doing this because you're looking for excitement yeah. or something. And then yeah. all the other women are like, you know, the... No, this the is our real, Like, you know, the, when people make up stuff like this, it never actually ends up giving them attention that they want or anything. Right, like, right. they're the voice of reason. Exactly. So, I mean, I kind of liked that aspect. The women had this little community that they made, which I think is an important characterization of the book. It's about this community of this, these five women, right? Yeah. Um, and they decide they're going to back her up. They make this whole plan. They help her gather evidence, like, more evidence that's, like, solid that they could bring to people and make an official statement to the police. They have it all planned out to do on one of their book club nights, and then comes... My least favorite part of the book. Yep. Least favorite, because as I was reading it, I felt physically ill, because I was so angry but, <laughs> as I was reading it. Like, does that mean it was effective? Like, I guess, but it just, like, I hated it. It was my least favorite. Yeah, Regardless of like, if it was, it might have done what it intended to do, I hated it. It was actually so. the scariest part of the book. So, essentially what happens is the men or their husbands, find out that the ladies are doing this, and they stage an intervention for their wives. They essentially all come to their wives, and they're like, hey, you guys are just little 
You're just little hens. You're just little housewomen. All you do is clean all day, and we know you're probably looking for excitement. You got a little carried away. Now, it's also important to note that at this point in the book, James Harris has successfully, like, anchored himself in the yeah, community. Not, not only befriended all the men, but has, like, in- substantially increased their incomes. He has increased their incomes. He's invested into this realty this property that they're working on and all the men are like benefiting from it and they haven't seen James Harris act weird because I mean he's just one of the guys right? One of the boys. So they hold this intervention for their wives where they essentially tell them you know you're you're just dumb ladies. That's how I read that moment at least and I was Yeah no it's it's very toxic um but like the, like, Hendrix seems to be attempting to have these, like, feminism moments in the book. And I would say maybe this is the only one that's effective. Not because the women are treated well, but because it shows, like, patriarchal, toxic traits. Definitely. Very clearly. And yes. the moments where, like, the women are supposed to be, like, the strong characters feel very, like... Like, almost archetypical and, like, not creative at all. Right. To me. So, like, like at least this feels like a moment where the author achieved what they were trying to achieve. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was so, it was so frustrating. It made my blood boil. I, I really hated it. Um, so, essentially, in this part, they, um... What they end up doing is they bring James Harris into the house. Yeah. And essentially, Patricia's husband says, apologize to his face right now. And she refuses to do so. And actually, Grace is the one who caves and says, sorry, first. And then all the other women apologize. And I think finally, Patricia apologizes after that. Damn you, Grace. But I just, like, I... Hated this moment so much. I, that's the last time I'm going to say it. It was <laughs> my least favorite part. And essentially, after this happens to Carter, who is Patricia's husband and also a doctor, which is important. Uh, essentially, right? it, uh, I think so. Yeah. He self-prescribes Patricia medication. Pretty much. Um, And tells her, you're, you're not well mentally that you did this, so take these pills. Which brings us to... um. Patricia's uh, suicide attempt, which I marked this down as a third turning turning point, a third turning point in the book, because it's a shift from how the tone had been previously, um, where it had been like very much like she saw James Harris feeding on this little girl. She's trying to figure out what she can do to help it. And then this intervention happens and she takes like a bunch of the pills that Carter gives her and tries to kill herself. This is where, like, I get really conflicted about this book. Because, like I said, the beginning, the tone is set. It's gonna be a horror story. You know stuff's gonna happen. I don't think horror stories need... Like, once you have learned that that's a horror story or a movie, you don't really need, like, trigger warnings because you know that there's gonna be violence and whatever in there, and you've gone in knowing that. It's expected. But the way it's written, they never develop her character in a way where you even have, like, a hint that she might have, like, a suicidal tendency. Right, And, like, you know, so, like, all this bad stuff is kind of happening, and then this really bad moment happens, and she's just like, fuck it. (laughs) 
Yeah, it do- it doesn't really make sense for her as a character that she did this. Like, because up until, like, there have been little micro uh, moments where Carter had, like, definitely not supported her as yeah. a husband up before this point. But, like, the intervention was really, like, I keep calling it intervention in quotation marks because that's what I feel like the men thought that they were doing, yeah. but I hated it. Uh, but they essentially just, like, gaslight her into thinking that she's crazy, and they, like, she feels like her, she doesn't have any friends either, because all of her friends apologized, and were like, we're sorry for doing that, so she feels so alone, and then that's what brings her to doing this. Yeah, I feel like she caves really easily, too. Like, she's, she has so clearly seen this thing happen, and then, you know, this moment happens, and she's like, maybe I did make it up. And that's the worst part, yeah. honestly, for me, is the fact that she, like, essentially kind of convinces herself that at this point in the book, there's a three-year gap, and she just has kind of convinced herself, like, I think it was all in my head. Yeah. James Harris is an upstanding citizen. He has done so much for our family. Like, they've made so much money from his health at this point, and, like, they... He is, like, fully in the community now. Like, everybody knows him. His name's in, like, every community project and stuff like that. And Patricia, honestly, has just kind of given up. Yeah. Feels like, at this point. Um, But that is when uh, something interesting happens to Patricia. She has a vision of the ghost of Miss Mary, her mother-in-law, who was killed, and Miss Mary essentially tells her, go see Miss Green, the caretaker, who originally put her on the trail of James Harris yeah. in the first place. I know this might be a little hard to understand if you haven't read the book. It's like a lot of all over the place I, things happening. But. This might have been my favorite part of the book is the ghost showing up. Mm. Because she never actually lays eyes on the ghost. I think the ghost is always right behind her. Yeah, or she sees only, like, the eyes, I think. Yeah. Like, looking through the door jam or yeah. something like that. And, you know, the ghost is like, go visit, um... Miss Green. Miss Green. But, and then, like, I, I... I don't know if this happens now or later, but at one point, the ghost says to her, like, I didn't do this for you. I did this for my grandkids. My grandkids. Like, yeah. Who are in danger, Yeah. yeah. Or, like, I don't think the ghost ever says anything. I think she says that's the feeling. Yeah, gets. yeah. Like, like, it's like you get impressions. Of yeah, you get impressions. Right, exactly. Um, so she goes to see Miss Green, and it turns out Miss Green has that photo of James Harris as Hoyt Pickens from, like, decades ago, where he hasn't aged. And they, they say it. I mean, maybe I'm, like, bitter because of, like, Photoshop and everything now. You know, you could fake anything. Yeah. But, like, maybe in the 90s, you know, it was different. I was just, like, I, even if he looked, like, they say, like, it's irrefutable. You look at this picture and you're, like, you know it's not, like, a relative. You know it's not, like, you know, just an old-timey photo. You know it's, like, him from that time period. Yeah. It looks exactly and like And it's not him. like he has, like, a tattoo or something super, like, Right, he's just a generic-looking white guy with blonde yeah. hair. <laughs> like, but anyways... He's allergic to the sun. They're, he was allergic to the sun, and they're like, it is irrefutable proof, this photo. So, uh, Patricia gets the photo, and she essentially promises Miss Green, like, we're not gonna leave, I'm not gonna abandon you this time, we're gonna really take care of... James Harris. Yeah. And I really like this moment from Miss Green, because Miss Green says, like, I don't want your, like, empty promises. 
Like, you know, no one else cares about our community except for the people who live in this community, and you rich folks don't really give a damn. And if you say you're gonna do something, you better fucking do it. Yeah. Miss Green is essentially just like, I don't want your empty words. Yeah. Like, last time. Yeah. And she's like, you, if you're gonna do something, you better do it. Um, so, Patricia gets invited by Miss Green to essentially break into James Harris's house, because she's a cleaning lady there now, to see if they can find evidence against him. And Patricia decides she wants to bring in one more person with this, and there's only one woman from the book club who came to see Patricia in the hospital after she had her mental break and attempted to kill herself, and that was Slick, who is the good Christian friend. And she was like, Slick never judged me. She came, and she, like, held my hand, and she was like, I'm praying for you, and she was like, I think I can share this with Slick. I can show her the photo and these newspaper clippings that Miss Green has, and I think she'll help me. So she goes to see Slick, and she says, "You just want I just want you to look at this information, and if you don't agree, you can tell me I'm wrong, and I will just drop it." And Slick promises that she will look at it and like essentially give back to Patricia, and. Patricia, of course, shares the information that she's planning to go to James Harris's house, because uh, of course she does, right? Of course yeah. she shares that. Before she even gets any assurances from Slick, she shares that information. Yeah. Um, so as Patricia, the next day, is breaking into the house, waiting to see if Slick shows up, but not really. She's like, her and Miss Green are like, we got work to do. So they're like, getting in on it. Um, and funnily enough, Patricia goes up to the attic and finds a dead body in there, stuffed in the suitcase. It's a woman named Francine. Yep. was his Ooh. cleaning lady at the beginning of the book. And everyone thought she had, like, run off with a guy. Yeah, everyone just assumed she ran off with a man, even though everybody knew she was single. But again, she was a black woman, so nobody really looked into it. They just, like, took it at that and never um, worried about it. Um, but uh, at this point, Slick still hasn't showed up. And Patricia's like, where'd she go? And um, that is when she hears... James Harris come into the house. And I just want to find... And he's supposed to be out of town. He's supposed to be out of town, I right? think he's supposed to be in Miami. Uh, maybe. He's supposed to be in Florida somewhere. Somewhere like that. Um, and this, honestly, this moment... <laughs> I'm just trying to find the moment. Because there's a moment where... Essentially, there's, like, these old, rotted pile of clothes and blankets, and, like, James Harris is coming up into the attic, there's nowhere else to hide, but she can see, like, all the roach eggs and the cobwebs and all the shit that's on these, but she's, like, there's nowhere else to hide, so she, like, squirms under these pile of things, and there's just this super descriptive moment where there's a roach... And it's, like, trying to crawl into her ear, and it's like, describes its antenna, like, pushing into the ear canal, and, like, she can feel it, and I just, like, <laughs> I, I, like, I don't know how she stayed still in that moment, oh, yeah, it's but, a- like, it was like she knew if she made a sound, like, she would die, because James Harris was in the attic with her, but honestly, this... This paragraph where it's describing the bugs crawling over her was the most horrific moment. It's like a deeply, like, that would be an insane will to live. It was so uncomfortable, and I was like, I don't know if I want to throw up or just, like, scream or just, like, what I want to do, but it was just so gross. Um, so yeah, that, that moment was just really something. Um, 
But at some point, for some reason, he gets called away. I can't remember why he gets called away. Oh, the the develop the realty the company that, company he's, that founded. he's founded is like the one. The one uh, set of buildings is like on fire, so somebody committed arson to draw him away. Yep. And that's when Kitty comes to get Patricia, and she also sees the body in the attic, confirming, okay, he's a horrible murderer. At least he murderer. killed someone. At least he killed someone, If yeah. not a vampire. Um, that brings us to, um, the next moment we find out where Patricia, like, goes home, kind of recovers from that whole thing. <laughs> from the bu- bug uh, assault. From the bug assault. Um, and she gets a phone call from Slick, who just is, like, incoherent. All she keeps saying is she just keeps repeating, I didn't make a sound. And honestly, when I read that line, I already knew what happened oh. before Patricia went over there. Uh, but Patricia goes over there, and, like, the worst part, honestly, is that, like, she, I mean, she was raped, and she was raped in her home with her whole family downstairs, mm-hmm. and they don't even know that it happened. Um, but essentially, James, she confronted James Harris with the, the photograph and the clippings that Patricia had given her, and threatened him and said, you have to leave, or I'm gonna, like, give this evidence to the police, where I was honestly just like, come on. Come on, lady. Come on, you should have just taken it to the police right away. But, like, she, I guess, was trying to be a a good person. Um, But she ended up, she ends up, James Harris uh, rapes her and tells her, like, don't tell anybody about this or I'm going to, like, come for you and your family. And it is honestly just, like, a heartbreaking scene. Yeah, and, And like, not really a, I I don't know what this does for the character. Right, like, I don't, I don't understand what it does to, like, make Slick... The only, like, thing I can think of, and this is skipping forward a little bit, is, like, she's the Christian woman. She is defiled by, essentially, Satan. Right. And then she later finds out that, like, she's going to give birth to evil demon baby. Is that what was gonna happen? That seemed a little... Was she gonna do that, or was she herself gonna turn into one? I well, couldn't tell he, what was I gonna I thought happen. she was going to have a baby. Vampire spawn Yeah, because he says, like, this is how we make more of us. Be- oh. And I think but- he says something along the lines of, like, she's going to die for sure. Right. Um. So, when she chooses, like, you know, there's, like, this really... I think this is, like, the most badass moment she has in the book. She's like, nah, give me my uh, lawyer. We're changing my will. And she's like, cremate me as soon as I die. Yeah, and she changes her will. So and- that's her, like, purification, like, immolation. Like, good person, defiled by sin, returns to the light and chooses to die an it honorable death. that this is how it had yeah. to happen, because it's so, such a common trope, And I that's, like, like, the but- only... Kind of reason? Anyways, we're not even to the end of the book yet. Yeah. Uh, but, so, like, they have this conversation where Slick talks to the rest of the group, and they, I don't think that they're planning anything against James Harris just yet, but, like, Slick and Patricia and Kitty all know what happened to Slick, and they all know about James Harris, and... They're kind of, like, thinking over, like, how could they let this monster kind of get into their community sort of thing. And then Patricia goes home. And I I can't remember if it's the same night or a different night, but Patricia, like, is woken up in the middle of the night by a sound. Um, 
It's the same night, because James Harris goes to the hospital and gives her a ride home. Yeah. And essentially, James Harris kind of hints that he wants Patricia. Like, he wants a family. Yeah. He, like, wants... He doesn't really want her. He wants the idea of a family. Yeah, yeah. Um... But then later that night, Patricia is woken up and she finds out that James Harris has broken in her house and is essentially feeding on her 16-year-old Yeah, on her 16-year-old daughter, daughter. In a very and, graphic, yeah, sexual way. We haven't even like, talked about the kids really at all, but like he has slowly been like mentally turning them against her. Especially yes, Patricia's her kids, son, yeah. son, he like constantly is talking about like Nazi imagery. Yes. And then... The daughter, he basically, like, you know... I think he basically, like, grooms her. Yeah. And, like, essentially, like, a pedophile would to, like, a younger, you know, woman or man. Um, Also, it's never mentioned in the books, but I feel like James Harris just having a preference for younger children kind of makes me think he's just a pedophile. Because it doesn't ever say anything like younger people's blood is more appealing or anything. It seems like he just chooses When he's finally dying, or not really dying, because, spoiler, he doesn't fucking die. Um, Even though he is defeated. Um, But he says, like, that Russian, that boy in Russia, which, like, it kind of implies that he's from Russia. I think they say he's 400 years old. Something like that, yeah. Um, he's like, the boy asked me to do it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, so not a great person. Just monstrous all around. Yeah. Um, but essentially after this moment, uh, I mean, James Harris lets Patricia live, surprisingly enough, and he, because he still wants that idea of a family, and he wants to essentially use this to blackmail her into, like, being his family, because it will protect her daughter. But, at this moment, this is the fourth turning point, and the final one, I think, because Patricia's like, we waited too long, we let them have the children in Six Mile... We let them have the black children, and we didn't do anything because it was easier for us, it was safer for us, and now he's coming for our families. Which is like, I mean, yeah, sure, You, I guess you can commend them for finally making up their yeah. minds to kill him at this point, but really, like, come on. <laughs> it takes a um, lot more than most people would go through before they actually make a decision to right. do something. Uh, so the book club gets together... What, that one final time, because yeah. they keep going. Getting the band back together. They get the band back together, and they're like, we're killing this motherfucker, right? And everyone's like, Except yeah. Except for Grace. Except for Grace. She is, like, absolutely not, I won't let you drag me into this again. And she kind of storms out. But everybody else is like, alright, here's what we're gonna do. So they formulate their plan, and they get him in a weak spot, and they essentially... Just dismember him. Yeah, I don't know how to break in. It. Well, how do they? Because they immobilize him first. How do they? So, so what happens? Patricia offers herself up. Patricia offers herself up yes. essentially, and also this is something that we haven't notated, but is why I think that the feeding scenes of this vampire are pretty. They're like basically like similar to rape. Because he always feeds off the inner thigh really yeah. close to the crotch. He never feeds off of anywhere else. Like, he never goes for the yeah. throat. He never goes for, like, the inner arm. Where other areas where there would be, like, a lot of blood. He always feeds from the inner thigh. I, like, yes, it's very weird. But I also think 
that's not a spot you would expect to see, like, a feeding mark if it was, like, a vampire or something. So, like, when right. they do, like, an autopsy, there's not, like, a hole in the neck, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's still weird. It's still, it, I mean, I just think, like, it's intentional yeah. that he feeds from there. They make it very, Because I feel like, like it's just another way to have, like, it's, for me, it, I kind of felt like it was just another nod to, like, the patriarchy, because yeah. it's just, like, just taking the... I mean, it was almost always women, too. I don't yep. think it... I think there was, like, one little boy, maybe, that he, he <laughs> yeah. killed, but it was mostly, like, women and then and they girls. sent him away. And like, they I think him that away. boy survives, because they just are like, get the hell out of this town. Um, But, essentially, so they Patricia offers himself up to her, he's feeding off of her, and then the women come in as he's, like, in that euphoric state and feeding off of her... And they essentially bludgeon him with a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. So that he's, like, taken down. And then after they've, like, held him down long enough, they kind of, like, I think what they do is they, like, half cut off his head. Yeah. So that it's, like, kind of, like, hanging off. And then he's still talking to them. And as he's, like, talking to them and he's, like, begging for his life and stuff, they're just, like, slowly dismembering him. And... Um, I'm trying to, there's just so funny. The he's one... not even, like, really afraid when he's begging. He's just like, oh, well, this is happening, but, it, you know, I'll get over it. Yeah, no, he says something like, he, uh, I'm trying to find the line where he's talking about it. Oh, here it is. He's, he's like, I'm unique. There are billions of people and I'm the only one like me. Do you really want to destroy that? It'd be like smashing a stained glass window or burning a book of library books. Uh, burning a library of books. You're a book club. You aren't book, book burners. burners. And I'm just like, dude. Come on, man. He's so fucking self-centered and annoying. Like, this is what he's saying as they're dismembering him. And, and this is what I found interesting is he says, I'm the only one like me. And then later he says, the Happy Smiles Club will come and find me. Yeah, and I was like, did he just say that to try and, like, Scare sway them? them? Or I was like, or is that going to be a reference to, like, Oh, another... no, it's the Wide Smiles Club. Something like yeah. that, yeah. But, like, you know, like, it sounds like an organization of dentists, but they're secretly vampires. Right, <laughs> the Happy Smiles. Yeah, the Wide Smiles Club is what they're called. So maybe there's going to be, like, other books where there's yeah. maybe other vampires or something. I guess they're called the Wide Smiles Club because his jaw literally, like, and like dislocates a yeah. and just like opens up. Like I almost imagined it like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things, where it like opens. Yeah, yeah. Up is what I was imagining. But anyway, the conclusion of the book, they dismember him, and then Grace shows up as they're like panicking because they're like, "What the fuck do we do now? He didn't die. He's still fucking talking and moving around <laughs> in the <laughs> garbage bags." And so Grace shows up and she's like, all right, here's what we're going to do. Miss, me and Miss Green are picking these up. I have a plot in the graveyard. You're going to throw them in some t- some of these stone tombs and keep them separated so they can't, like, reform or whatever. Yeah. And she kind of, like, takes command. I guess it's Grace's, like, redeeming moment. But it's not really because I still hate her. <laughs> I still don't like her. But she comes and she kind of, like, helps the ladies kind of clean up the whole house because there's just blood fucking everywhere. Yeah. And she... Essentially, the ladies uh, make James ha- James Harris disappear. Yeah, and uh, wrapping up of the book, I mean, essentially the investments that he made all go downhill after he dies. So everyone just thinks he fled town because he knew it was going to happen, and like, uh, like he was a fraud. And since he wasn't like a normal person in the community, they just kind of let him go, you know. 
And I guess that's some kind of satisfaction. He's yeah. not dead. He's yeah. still alive, like, but he's dismembered forever. There's a moment where she Patricia goes back to the graveyard and she can like hear his pieces moving around. <laughs> moving around. Yeah. I was like, I guess it's good, but also if there is a wide smiles club, um, yeah. Are they gonna like come let him I out? I think or that's like, like you know, we could have a sequel, because that's like Grady Hendrix being like, you want a sequel? Because there could be a sequel if you want it. But if you don't want it, it's fine. But you right, want it. but we could, by Wild Mouth Club, yeah. could be a thing. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that, that was the Southern Book Club's guide to slaying vampires. Uh, for the For the characters, I don't know, I feel like the characters could have been stronger. I was gonna say, I, I think what they, this book what they, Grady Hendrix wanted this, the book where the women all come together and, you know, dismember him. They wanted it to be like a Char- Charlie's Theron moment where like the badass women all rolling with like bats and guns. But like, none of the characters feel developed enough for me to be like, oh, this is like a sick moment for them. I'm just like, all of you have been like, really weird during really weird circumstances Yeah, up until this moment, and now all of a sudden you're just like, alright, time to roll up our sleeves. Yeah, and like I like I was saying to you before, like, honestly, I think the character that had the most development was Slick, but it just sucked that it fell back on the same trope of, like, a woman had to face, like, a trauma at the hands of a man in order and to get that development to their character. So, there's like, these are two thoughts I had while reading this. I wonder if Patricia Campbell's name is a nod towards Joseph Campbell, because, you know, they all get together in this book club and kind of start reading true crime. And Campbell, you know, was all about, like, the hero's journey and stuff. Mm -hmm. So, like, is Patricia the, like, exploration of genres that the women don't normally put themselves in because of the time period? Maybe. And then Slick, uh, I'm gonna say this, my opinion of the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires is that it's a very cheap knockoff of Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I never read that. Like so Father Callahan, uh-huh. who also shows up in the Dark Tower series. But Father Callahan, you know, and spoilers if you haven't read Salem's Lot, when he's talking to the vampire Barlow at one point, they're having like a battle phase. Like he's holding the cross up, and Barlow is like, you know, if you're so sure of your god, why don't you throw the cross away and face me? He won't let you get hurt. And because he doesn't put the cross down, it's like him doubting God, and then God like no longer protects him temporarily. Mm. So like I was seeing that as like you know Slick's like I'm very like pure and then defiled and back to being pure because Father Callahan shows up in the Dark Tower and starts killing vampires left and right. Yeah, and I was maybe. like, this is like the parallels between these two books there. Yeah. And then, like, Grace is the, honestly the only other one that kind of gets, like, a deeper delve into her story in the book. Like, you know a little bit, like, she's in an abusive marriage and that's why she's the way she is and so hesitant to, like, speak out against the men and everything. Yeah. But, like, Kitty, I thought Kitty Scruggs, I see her last name there, the hot mess mom who does a judge. I thought she could have been a great character. There are so many times where she could have, like, stepped up, but then she was just, like, too afraid. And she just consistently stayed that way. Yeah. And then Mary Ellen, kind of a similar thing, where she was, like, kind of billed as this, like, feminist character, but then um, 
it all of her feminist stuff was kind of just talk yeah. unless now that I think about it, you know, it seems like the book wants to have these really strong feminist moments, but it's afraid of alienating toxic men who would be like, hey, the women like are so powerful in this book. Blah, They're blah, too blah, blah, feminist. Blah. Yeah, so Feminazi. it tries to walk this like middle line, and it just fails at doing both because of that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I wasn't super... Fa- also, I didn't super relate to a lot of them because I'm not a housewife in the 90s, and I don't really value a lot of the things that they value, yeah. so it was a really hard for me to kind of put myself in their mindset, which is more of a me thing. It's just not very much my uh, type of story, but, you know... Um, for the the theme of this book, I I, I kind of build it as like courage and perseverance. Courage, yeah, maybe because I, I I good versus evil, but like yeah. it's it's more. I don't even know if it really needs to have a theme because I think this is more of like the book you would like pick up to read on an airplane. You know, yeah, that's like it thing. doesn't have the intention of being like. A literary piece, like if like you would read like Clown Cuckoo Land or something. Right, right, yeah. It's just a story. That's true. That's true. Um I also put community in there, like the community of women, but not super. Mm-hmm. Um important. Um let's see. I I I kinda put I just I wanna look at my thing. So for this book, the last thing I will say about this one. This book, for from my perspective, what it was really trying to get to, maybe not in the best way, was the idea of how in society we're expected to be pleasant and welcoming to others, especially women. And if women, or if we don't behave in this manner, we're the ones that are treated with suspicion and distress, rather than the individual who's causing the discomfort or showing red flags. You know, like, it seemed like that was the pervading theme through the book. Yeah. Is that it's just trying to be like, you know, you're expected to kind of have these niceties, but that might ultimately be a downfall, you know, with, like, our society. Um, Now that I think about it, because you said this, and, like, this would be something I would have to really delve into, but there's, I can't remember the Greek word, but it's the idea that you're supposed to be welcoming to travel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And when people in Greek plays and tragedies are not welcome to travelers, they are usually punished by the gods. Right. And then even if they are, and then if they are welcoming, then the person who they welcome does something like to them. You know, it's almost unavoidable because they were like, if I welcomed them, they hurt me anyway. And if I didn't welcome them, the gods hurt me. Mm-hmm. So like. One way or another, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, and that's what it felt like. Like, James Harris is a traveler because he left and came back, and uh-huh. they tried to welcome him into his community. And yeah. Like, I saw, you know, even if Patricia hadn't been the one to welcome him, someone would have been, had this happen to them. May- yeah, perhaps, yeah. Like, if it hadn't been Patricia, maybe Grace would have gone over because she's noted as super nosy and always having to know everybody's business and everything. Um,. And then I also, I I did, like, even though it wasn't, like, the best written, in my opinion, but, like, again, that's just my opinion, the idea of how women can have a community with themselves, you know? Um, But even though we can do that, the toxicity of the patriarchy can still infect that community that we make, 
which we see how, like, Grace and the other women turn against Patricia after the, you know, interference of their husbands. Essentially, rather than sticking together, even though most of them believe Patricia, they went with their husbands because that is kind of what, like, the patriarchy dictates is that the wife should be, you know. Yeah. All the husband, obviously, everybody knows these ideas. I just wanted to put that out there that this is definitely in this book. And, I mean, it's it's kind of interesting to read, but also definitely very infuriating. Uh, yeah. It's it's like a... I, I hate to say it, because usually I like horror, even bad horror. But, like, it feels like a dime store paperback to me. Like, it doesn't have what you would get from Salem's Lot or Dracula or Frankenstein. It's more of a, a thriller than, like, a thriller with horror elements than, like, a literary thriller. Yeah. And, and not I, everything needs to be, like, I, I mean, if you look at, like, the books that are referenced in this book, that the book club reads, I mean, I kind of feel like that's the inspiration for it. Is like, True. you know, just kind of like a, a cheap horror kind of novel. Because they know? read a lot of the really lowbrow horror, but do they also read stuff that's like Truman Capote? Yeah, they read the... Helter Skelter. They definitely read more of the well-known stuff, but then they also read ones that are like the romance novels, where it's yeah. like they're in love with serial killers, yeah, yeah. I think. And like, so they read like a lot of stuff like that. So I think it wears its inspiration on its sleeve pretty plainly mm-hmm. um, in this book. And, um... The one thing we didn't talk about that I did write down um, early on in the book, um, they're talking about reading, and this is the beginning of the book club, Evidence of Love, which is one of the, like, trash romance novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about, like, what does the, the Southern Book Club have to say about reading, but, like, in that, like, getting people into reading, like, into book clubs and stuff. You start by giving them books they want to read. Like, you can give kids comic books or, like, action stories. You know, you start, you learn to enjoy reading, and then you can learn to read to better yourself. Yeah, things that wouldn't necessarily have been interesting, but, like, now that you have taken the time to kind of grow your reading expertise, if you will... You know, you can delve into those deep yeah. topics, for sure. Which is, I think, that's essentially what their book club does. They read, like, the trashy stuff, but then they delve into more the more serious true crime later on. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this is an okay book. I think we already said, like, a lot of our opinions on it, so I won't go over the, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I will just say, uh, what do we what do we think about recommendation wise? Do we think we would recommend this? How what would you rate it? I would give it a two out of five. You always do it out of five. I'm always gonna do out of tens, but you go ahead, you go. Um I think it's like a fun read. Not like in like everything that happens is fun, but like you know, when you're reading it you kinda of find yourself like tearing the pages because you're like definitely a quick I read. wanna know what happens next. But I never felt fulfilled by what happened next. For sure. There was definitely a lot of moments where I'm like, I feel like I'm reading this faster out of spite because I want to get to a part where I'm less angry. And it just, like, it never really happened. Yeah. But, you know, like, it is definitely a page turner. Like, you're like, oh, I gotta know what's, like, what they're gonna yeah. do in this situation. Um, For me, I feel like... I feel like I'm rating this one a 5 out of 10. Because I think it does... 
meet the bare minimum for what it was trying to do, which would be like a five for me. So it's like, you know, Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. I mean, there's a Southern Book Club, there's a vampire, <laughs> and like, you know, it's kind of fun in some parts. The reason I'm know. not like a three out of five is because the characters don't have any like onus. Like, it's yeah. the characters do not drive the story. They're just like they're just happening. Here is they're, scene, mm-hmm. thing happens. Here is scene, thing happens. Yeah, the characters are just there as things are happening. Yeah, and things just keep happening to them, and they don't get a fucking break. Yeah, and like, yeah, definitely for me, I think I've said it before on the podcast, but the characters are the most important part of the story to me. So like, if I don't relate to the character. I really struggle to read it. But then on top of that, if it feels like the character has no agency in what's going on, I yeah. really struggle to to read it. And I think maybe that was uh, the case of this one, because it seemed like they're there, but stuff is just happening to them, yeah. you know? Um, and it's like acting is reacting. Like, they do react. Like, Patricia but they, is going out and investigating They, stuff. like, do like, a thing, and then they're like, yeah, okay. And then something else happens, and they're like, alright, yeah. that was weird. Patricia is going out investigating stuff, but like I said, there's, like, too many moments where it's, like, a swarm of rats comes in and literally eats a woman and nobody thinks that's strange. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's just too many moments like that where I'm just like, okay, come on, this is, like, <laughs> you know. It's literally the, the commercial... Or like Allstate or whatever, where they're like, <laughs> yeah. they're like, it's a horror movie, and they're like, oh, thank God, a, a running car fully gassed. And he's like, are you crazy? Hide behind the wall of chainsaws. chainsaws. Yeah, exactly. It kind of has that feeling yeah. sometimes. Um, but yeah, so I five out of ten, two out but, of five. Yeah, is essentially what we're giving this one. Um, yeah. So what's next month's book? So, next month, uh, we will be reading... I know you sent me a picture, I just want to make sure I get the author's name. It's Naomi Novik. Yes, we'll be reading Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. And I'm really excited for this one. It's like a high fantasy more. From the cover, I know nothing about this. I actually didn't realize this was the same woman. But we have a new book by her. Mm. And we have so many copies of it. Like, it's literally, like, pouring off the shelf. Yeah, so, you know, my reasoning for picking Spinning Silver for next month was actually because it was recommended by my favorite author, Patrick Rothfuss. So, I'm I'm excited to read it. I'm excited for a change, definitely, from what this month was. But, um, um, based entirely off the cover, I'm getting Madeline LaEngle vibes, I'm getting Susan Cooper vibes, like, early... 90s kids books, but, like, really high fantasy. The good ones. And, like, you know, but, like, it broaches these, like, really powerful moments of, like, good versus evil. What do you do when, like, you feel like you can't go on? Mm-hmm. But, like, in, like, a child-friendly manner. Yeah, yeah, so I'm I'm super excited for this one. And so. it's not, I don't know what, what do you think the age range for this book is? Like, the target age range? Um, I don't think it's in the young adult section. Yeah. It's in, I think it's in regular fantasy, so it's probably, like, I mean, I would assume anywhere from 20s to, like, 60s. Yeah, it, it is in the fantasy section at work. But when I, when you when you showed me the book the first time, I looked at it and thought, oh, this is a juvenile reader's book. Mm. So I'm interested to see what this yeah, book yeah, is Yeah, yeah, like. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um. But yeah. All right. Um, that's this episode. That's this um, episode Shared Pages. Yeah. I'm stuttering. Join us on 
Twitch, if you like this, we are live right now, Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Yeah. Um, and... At MadRadIan. Yeah, for Twitch and Twitter, and Ronnie is at RareRonnie. Uh-huh, and also you can find us at SharedPagesPod on Twitter, where we try to tweet updates every once in a while, Let's try to do some fun things for the books that we're reading that month. Um, I, pictures of our cats. I honestly feel like we read this book so fast because it was such a, like, a breezy read mm-hmm. that we finished it so early in the month that by the end of the month, we're like, man, what do we tweet? Yeah, what do we tweet now? I don't know, <laughs> you know? I mean, I guess something spooky again, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so check us out there if you want to come say hey, uh, check us out. 